1: And by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, Who are everywhere present and fill all things, treasure blessings and giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O gracious Lord. What I just did was open the program with a very, very traditional prayer of the Byzantine church, a prayer to the Holy Spirit, because today, of course, is the Sunday of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday. What a glorious, glorious Sunday! This is the totally, completely full climactic moment of the what we call the Paschal season. Now, technically, the season of the resurrection itself ended recently with the Ascension Thursday event, you know, when Christ ascends to heaven. But the Paschal season, per se, actually ends now with this season of Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit. The last and final thing for God to do for our salvation was to send down the Holy Spirit upon us. And in fact, the so-called ordinary times of the Byzantine liturgical calendar are actually measured in relation to Pentecost Sunday. In other words, what we do is we count the Sundays after Pentecost. In the Latin church, they call this the ordinary time. In the Byzantine church, they call it the Sundays after Pentecost, the second Sunday, third Sunday, etc., all the way until we begin the cycle that prepares us then for the incarnation, for Christmas, the birth of Christ. So there's sort of like about, oh, it can vary with 31, 32, 33 Sundays after Pentecost, and then starts the pre-Christmas cycle. And after that, of course, we go into the Lenten cycle, then again, the Paschal cycle. In between, throughout the year, we have what's called the Festal meneon. Meneon means that order of our services, of our prayers, of the special text, and chance that we pray throughout the different seasons. The festival, again, kind of covers the, the whole season. But amidst the whole calendar, the whole season, there are specific seasons, such as, as I mentioned, the Lenten season, the season of the Nativity, and now, of course, the Paschal season, which comes to its great, incredible, spirit-filled climax with Pentecost Sunday. Now, in the Eastern churches, the presence of the Holy Spirit is just very, very clear. It's just immense. It's all pervasive. Now, it's interesting that the charismatic movement, it has an interesting beginning, but an interesting development. My experts tell me that the charismatic movement, per se, began in an Eastern church. It began in the Armenian church, but then it quickly was picked up by the Western lung of the church, as John Paul II would call it, and It flourished in a lot of ways there as the so-called charismatic movement, but it did not exist as a movement, per se, in the Eastern churches. Although it started in an Eastern church, as a movement, as we know it, the so-called charismatic movement, did not really take place or sort of take hold in the Eastern churches. It was primarily a Western movement. Experience, especially once it originated in the East, in the Armenian Church, it became basically an experience of the Western Church. Now, this is an interesting question and also one that's very telling about both lungs of the Church. Why is it that the charismatic movement per se did not exist in the Eastern churches? Now, this is not to say that there aren't people in the Eastern churches who would identify themselves as being charismatic or part of the charismatic movement. There's nothing wrong with that. There are people in the Eastern churches who are part of that. But as a movement per se that, that sort of took hold of a church as it did in the West, it didn't happen in the East. And why would that be? I believe it's because the Holy Spirit always supplies what is lacking, as we say, in the church. And in the Western church, there was a bit of the, we might call it the charismatic or mystical, apophatic kind of experience that was maybe lost a bit, a bit eroded or de-emphasized over the last several centuries, and this kind of movement of the Spirit, I think the Spirit decided that it had to happen in this way in the Western church. In other words, it had to be kind of re-energized in this kind of very powerful movement. In the East, the East kind of exists in a sort of a constant state of being charismatic. Our liturgy, our spirituality is very, very Spirit-based, And very spirit-filled. In fact, we end all of our prayers, and here's another interesting contrast, we end all of our prayers by invoking the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. In the Latin church, or the Western lung of the church, the prayers are often ended with a reference to Jesus Christ, by saying, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, of course, one is not better than the other. As always, these are complementary realities that sort of complete each other. Sometimes people ask me, what is the difference between the East and the West? And the best way I could explain it so we can understand it easy enough, it's a key word, at least the word I think is a key word, emphasis. In other words, what aspect of the same truth is being emphasized? And think of it, again, as the human race. Men and women are both human, of course. But they experience that humanness through a particularly feminine experience or particularly masculine experience, which is going to give them different experiences of being human. You know, a woman experiences life a bit different than a man. In some ways, very same, of course, but in some ways, very different and vice versa. So the church is that way too. It's a matter of the different emphasis of how we experience and express the one same reality. So it's not a matter of one being better than the other. It's a matter of being different a complementary. Now, this also means though... That one side, one lung of the church, has a particular gift in their emphasis that is needed by the other side of the church, the other lung of the church, and vice versa. In other words, the emphasis of the East on the Trinity is something that can help the Western lung of the church to kind of keep that Trinitarian consciousness. At the same time, the emphasis of, of Christ and his suffering in his humanity is something that the East needs as a kind of a... Extra emphasis as well. So, in other words, we kind of need each other, we sort of complete each other, but what we both have, though, in our respective ways, is our own particular genius. Again, one has a greater strength than the other, and vice versa, and we need each other's strengths and riches, but it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. So, in the East, we have a very charismatic character. To our churches, very naturally, and I believe that's probably why the charismatic movement, as a movement, did not really take hold in the East as it did in the West. It's something the West needed. Again, not because the West is lesser; it just it just needed that the Holy Spirit works another way in the Eastern churches. But the main thing is the Holy Spirit does work. It does animate the church, and in the Liturgy of the Byzantine Church, we invoke the Holy Spirit often and very very it's very very obvious and evident in fact, during the Eucharistic prayer, what we call Anaphora in the Eastern Church, we have a very strong segment in there that, called the epiclesis, you know the calling down of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is in the Latin mass as well. but in the East, it's pretty elaborate, pretty prominent, and it comes after the words of institution. In other words, after the priest says, take, eat, this is my body. In other words, after the consecration. In the Eastern Church, the invocation of the Spirit, the Epiclesis comes after those words. In the West, they call down the Holy Spirit before those words. So you see, it's different. Complementary, but yet different. And we put a strong emphasis on the fact that it is the Holy Spirit, the action of the Holy Spirit, that is changing The bread and wine, not the priest. The priest is the agent. He's an agent of God, of course, the Spirit working through him. You need the priest. But it's not the priest who is changing the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. In fact, during their prayers, the priest will say, changing them by your Holy Spirit. Specifically say that, changing them by the Holy Spirit. But also, not only are the gifts, the bread and wine changed, more importantly, actually, And the whole purpose why the bread and wine becomes the body of Christ is so that we will be changed. And the prayer is a call upon the Holy Spirit in the Eastern liturgy. That's what we actually put first. We say that the Holy Spirit will come to change us and then to change the gifts. So the idea is that it's all about our transformation by means of the transformation of the gifts. In fact, after we receive, the Eucharist, the gifts, the body and blood of Christ in the Byzantine liturgy, we sing this hymn. We have seen the true light. We have received the heavenly spirit. We have found the true faith and we worship the undivided Trinity for the Trinity has saved us. Again, notice the emphasis on the Trinity. Now this chant is basically proclaimed very triumphantly after we have received Holy Communion. And yet this chant actually comes from the Vespers of Pentecost Sunday. So we take a prayer from Vespers and we put it in our liturgy. And this is what we have after Holy Communion. So it is very much a charismatic church, and so that's why this is a big day for us. In fact, we decorate our churches with all kinds of greenery. Green is our color in the Eastern churches for Pentecost. And that represents the idea of life. You know, the giver of life. The Holy Spirit enlivens us, He brings us life. Yes, He came in the form of fiery tongues, so happily the Western church uses the color red to remind us of the fiery tongues through which the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. So you see the beautiful complementarity? I like it especially because I'm an artist. I love colors. So I love the red and the green. So you put the two lungs of the church together, and got these beautiful colors on this very beautiful feast of Pentecost. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East
1: There's always more. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. At a retreat for priests, Andrei Sheptitsky once said, For all creatures, even the most exalted and perfect, God is always an abyss of unapproachable light. The more one knows God, the more one is conscious of that infinite abyss of unapproachable light. That infinite abyss that God continues to be even for those who see Him face to face. And in fact, for them, this is especially true for they who are on the way to the kingdom understand better than all other people on earth the degree to which God's being infinitely transcends everything. Holy ignorance is the most complete knowledge of the divine. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit Institute.ca. That's
0: You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East.
1: You're listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you...
0: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host on this magnificent Sunday. Every Sunday is magnificent, but this is especially magnificent, especially splendid Pentecost Sunday, the scent of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, in the Eastern churches, we use the color green, meaning the life. Holy Spirit is a giver of life, enlivens the church, animates the church, animates our souls. And also we bring in green, we actually cut branches, green branches and bring in the church and decorate the church. So we use the color green, I wish we used it longer for a longer time because I have this set of green vestments. It's very exquisite. Somebody made them for me as a gift, and everybody really likes them. They always compliment me on these beautiful green vestments I have. I just wear them during the time of Pentecost or the week of Pentecost, which is a very short time. So anyway, I guess I admit just a slight bit of liturgical vanity on my part. I wish Pentecost was longer so I could wear my green vestments. <laughs> but that's not the only reason. It's just such a wonderful, marvelously rich, holy time of the year that I just wish it could go on and on and on. Now, before I go any further, though, I just I do want to say thank you for listening. I want to say hello to certain friends that are always so faithful, like Sonia out in California. And speaking of California, Sonia and all those who listen out there, are lots of good, faithful listeners in California. I do appreciate that. And I love hearing from you. There was something going on in San Diego, California, that I want to bring your attention to. It's a gala event put on by the Ruth Institute. And the Ruth Institute is famous for what's called it takes a family to raise a village. You've probably heard that saying, it takes a village to raise a family, but actually it takes a family to raise a village. The Ruth Institute kind of flips it around. The Ruth Institute is headed up by Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse, who wrote a number of things, including a famous book called Smart Sex. She was once a feminist, very secular feminist type person and converted and is now is a very devout Christian and works very hard to, with DOMA, which is a defense of marriage organization that helps defend traditional marriage. In other words, marriage as God intended it to be. Well, in their work, they're offering this gala dinner event. It's the first ever. And they're inviting an interesting speaker, Tim Clemente. He was a former counter-terrorist agent from the FBI, and he's been on CNN. And he's going to speak largely for the purpose of getting men back into the marriage movement. This event is about calling our attention to the fact that we need the men, we need more of the men to step up to defend God's order of creation. That's the man's job primarily. But the women seem to be carrying the ball mostly right now. And We need the men to get back into the marriage movement where they belong, where we need them. So Tim Clemente is going to help inspire that. I'd like you to consider attending this gala event. You can find out about it by going to this website, itafgala.org. It's itafgala.org, and that stands for It Takes a Family to Raise a Village, gala.org, itafgala.org. To find out more about the Ruth Institute, they're good friends of mine. You can just go to their website, ruthinstitute.org, ruthinstitute.org. I thought I'd bring them up for a number of reasons, because here at Light of the East, you know, our presentation of the Eastern Churches is not just a history lesson or a museum piece or anything like that. It's a presentation of a living church that has lots to offer and to say to the world today and to the whole church, and in particular, on some of the hot button issues of our day. Because these hot button issues can only be understood and resolved, and people can only come to converge and embracing the church's teaching on these things by understanding and adopting a sacramental, liturgical, mystical view of life of the human person. That's the key. And that's the view that is very much at the heart of Eastern spirituality, and especially Eastern liturgy. So that mystical view, that's the key. And we approach any issue through that view, and all the hot button issues of our day need to be approached through that vision. And so what we do here in Light of the East is we present the Eastern spirituality, but also its relevancy, how it can help make a difference. So, once again, this is an event happening in San Diego and a lot of great listeners out there. So I want to draw your attention to them, especially Sonia, our good friend. Again, the website is itafgala.org. And by the way, this is happening on Sunday, June 2nd. Sunday, June 2nd in San Diego. I'd also like to say hello to someone I met recently at a beautiful concert. The concert was called That You May Have Life. And it was put on by the Ecclesia Choir of Chicago, directed by Timothy Woods. And I met one of the tenors there. His name was Jason, who said he listens to the program here. So I want to say hello to you, Jason. It was a pleasure meeting you. And the concert that you helped to put on, you were one of the singers, was just absolutely delightful. It was a a well, well well-spent afternoon. It was a concert that was presenting the finest music, very lofty, beautiful music of both the Eastern and Western lungs of the church. And so once again I say hello to Jason. Thanks for listening, and thanks to all of you for listening. Now, back to the Holy Spirit and Pentecost Sunday. Let's look at a few more liturgical texts. This is what we sing at Vespers. Behold, we celebrate today the feast of Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the promise and the realization of hope. How wonderful and awesome is this great mystery. Therefore, O Lord, and create of all, we cry out to you, glory to you. See, it's the fulfillment of the promise and and the realization of hope. How wonderful and awesome is this mystery. As I mentioned before, this is the last and final promise of the plan of salvation, that Christ, that's how he assured the apostles. When he ascended, they were a little bit afraid. He says, don't worry, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I will be with you always through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Now, another very, very interesting And exciting, I get excited about these things. Feature of the celebration of Pentecost in the Byzantine Church are what we call the prayers, the kneeling prayers of Pentecost, and these are done on Sunday evening at the Vesper service. They're very lengthy prayers in which we kneel. We call them kneeling prayers because throughout the Paschal season there was no kneeling, there was no repentance, no penitence, no at least least not no real physical gesture of repentance. We always we're always repenting, but in the Easter season, the Paschal season, we kind of back off on the, on the physical emphasis of repentance, and we adopt positions, physical positions and gestures of triumph, of victory because of the resurrection. And so on Pentecost, we kneel for the first time, and we kneel because we're going to receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to call that Holy Spirit down upon us, just as it came down upon those apostles in the upper room. And we do so by means of three prayers of kneeling. And I'm going to read just some of these prayers because they're very, very lengthy. It would actually take more than one program to actually read through all of them, to pray through all of them. They're lengthy, but they're also very, very rich. So the priest says this. This is the first kneeling prayer, part of the first kneeling prayer. O Lord, most pure, incorruptible, without beginning, invisible, incomprehensible, unsearchable, unchangeable, unsurpassable, immeasurable, and forbearing. Now I'm going to stop right there. I hope you notice something here. You see how many words we use to describe God, and what were those words? Those words were, in a sense, negations. In other words, they were saying what God isn't. incomprehensible, unsearchable, unchangeable, invisible, unsurpassable, immeasurable. In the Eastern Church, we like saying more often, what God is not, more than what He is. Because in saying what he is not, we're using a negative to actually make a positive. We're talking about how great he is. He's so great that every time we try to find a word to describe him, it doesn't work. So we have to say something like, well, he's, 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 you can't even search him. He's infinite. He's not finite. He's, he's this, but he's beyond that. That's kind of like the, the sort of the, uh, the spirituality behind this kind of prayer. It's, a positive by a negative. It's affirming God by negating something. Very, very characteristic of the Eastern church. And you notice how many words you try to use to describe him. It's one of the reasons why in the Eastern churches, many people, (laughs) the one thing you seem to know about our churches is that they always think that our services are very, very long and our prayers are very long. Well, yes and no. But one of the reasons why Prayers can be lengthy, or even services in Eastern churches, because we keep trying to come up with yet another word, another way to describe this indescribable God. It's like this word didn't quite do it. Let's try another word. That didn't do it either. Try another word. We just can't give God enough. It's like we're tripping over ourselves to try to honor God, to give God worthy glory. And we always fall short. It's like we keep groping, keep searching, keep trying to give God even more. And this is also true. In contrast, for our sense of repentance, we're constantly saying over and over again, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. It's like we can't say it enough. There's two things we can't say enough in the Eastern churches. We can't say enough about God, about how great He is, merciful, and holy, and wonderful, nor can we ever say enough about ourselves as repentant sinners. Okay, so I'll go further on in the prayer. It says, hear us on whatever day we call upon you, for you alone are most merciful and lover of mankind. However, especially hear us on this present day of Pentecost, in which, after our Lord Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven, and was seated at your right hand, O God and Father, he bent down the Holy Spirit upon his holy disciples and apostles. The Holy Spirit came upon each of them, and filling all of them with his inexhaustible grace, they spoke of your grandeur in various tongues, and they prophesied. It is our hope and intention that we speak of the grandeur of God, through the lens of the Eastern Churches on this program and I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion
1: and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com That's ByzantineCatholic.com Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help we can keep Light of
0: the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's Reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, Spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.